Welcome to HOWC Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. I'm going to give the story of Abraham in an overview. Basically, I went through each chapter and I just kind of got the, the gist of it. So I'm going to give you chapter 12. This is the gist. Chapter. Yep. And so I'm going to give you for those who won't go home, especially the kids, because a lot of them won't go home and read all those chapters. And I do want them to kind of know the story of Abraham. Yeah, it's like 12 chapters. Um, so we're going to go through the story of Abraham. So this might help you with some of the questions, but I can't guarantee that it will help you with all of it because this is a very Cliff Notes version. Genesis chapter 12. We touched on this last week, so I'll just give you a little recap. God told Abraham to leave all that he knew to go where God would show him and that he would make something great of him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left. It was Abraham, Sarah, Lot, all of the flocks, and all of their herdsmen. Lot was Abraham's nephew, his brother's son. Um, a brother who, uh, I don't think it's really mentioned in scripture, but according to Jewish history, there was a brother that had died, which would make sense why he had taken on his son. They went to the land of Canaan. In Canaan, God promised that he would give this land to Abraham through his seed, even though Abraham was barren, Abraham's wife was barren at the time that God gave the promise. There was a famine in the land, so he went into Egypt. While he was in Egypt, he was increased. He left Egypt with more than he went, and he went back to Canaan. In chapter 13, they were all blessed and increased because of Abraham's sake, even when they went back to Canaan. There was a strife that arose between Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's. So Lot is his nephew. He had grown up with Abraham. Abraham had flocks over time. He gave Lot some, you know, some things, and they began to conflict over the, I guess, the grazing areas. Um, so Abraham allowed Lot to choose wherever he wanted to go. There came a point where he was like, okay, you know, you, you're grown, you've got your own flocks, you've got your own herdsmen, so you pick which direction you want to go, and I'll just go the opposite way. So he let him have choice. Lot chose what looked best to his flesh and ended up going towards Sodom. Abraham takes what's left and goes towards Bethel, which is the place of God's presence. So Lot looks over the land, and, and instead of being humble, um, he, said, he sees what looks like the absolute best land. It's well-watered, it's beautiful, and he's like, well, I want that. And Abraham's like, okay, that's fine, I'll, I'll just take what's left, I'll go the other way. Well, that caused him to go towards Sodom and Gomorrah, um, while Abraham went the other way. And you'll find that if you take the lowest seat and you do the humble thing, and you know it will usually send you closer to God's presence. But if you are selfish and follow the lust of the flesh, and it will usually send you towards destruction. Oh, yeah, because Lot went to the east. He went towards the east, which is always a bad sign in, in biblical right. typology. Once Lot was gone, God told Abraham to look up, and all that he could see was for him and for his seed. It could not come while Lot was with him because it was not for Lot. It was for the true heir. Lot had a bend towards selfishness in him 
he could not be the heir to the promise. In fact, his descendants actually became the Moabites, who were a continual problem for the Israelites. After Lot was gone, God told Abraham that he was in the right land, but now he needed to walk the length and breadth of it, and he would give it to him. So God kind of took this in, in steps with Abraham. Chapter 14. The kings of the land went to war. They attacked Sodom and robbed it, taking Lot captive with his possessions. Someone escaped and ran and told Abraham. Abraham armed 318 of his trained servants and went to redeem Lot from the enemy. Abraham recovered Lot, the goods, the women, and all of the captive people. Upon doing this, Melchizedek, which was the, the priest king of Salem at the time, that, which is where Jerusalem's name comes from, Jerusalem. So Salem or Salem, Jerusalem, but originally it was called Salem. Melchizedek was a priest and a king over Salem. But this was in the time of Canaan. Later, it would become Jerusalem. So after doing this, uh, Melchizedek comes out to meet Abraham. So Abraham goes and he redeems Lot. Abraham is the patriarch. Lot is a family member, even though he had left and was not really, um, you know, of great the greatest of characters. Uh, he, it was Abraham's place to go and try to redeem him and bring him back. So he did, but he also saved all the other people with him as well. After doing this, Melchizedek comes out to meet him and he brings bread and wine, communion. He blesses Abraham and blesses the God who gave Abraham the victory. And Abraham gave Melchizedek tithes of all that he had. So this is the first time you see tithes coming into play in Scripture. Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Melchizedek is the Old Testament incarnation of Christ. In the New Testament, um, we're told that Jesus was a priest after the order of Melchizedek, who was a priest and a king, not after the order of the Levites, which came through Aaron. He had no mother, father, and he never died. He had an everlasting priesthood. It was Christ in the Old Testament. So Melchizedek blesses him. He blesses God who gave Abraham the victory, and Abraham pays tithe to him. The king of Sodom also comes out to meet Abraham after this victory and tells Abraham to keep the goods, but to give him the people. God wanted Abraham to give up goods and cherish the people. The enemy wanted him to give up the people and cherish the goods. Tithe is a guard for your heart against falling to this trap of Satan. One of the reasons I think that God institutes the concept of tithe is to keep us giving and to keep us from becoming too attached to our physical things, our money, and to keep us willing to, to help others and to be more concerned about people than our money. Because Melchizedek comes out and, and you know, it, Abraham can take care of the people, that's fine, but give up some of the, the good. The king of Sodom comes out and he was like, I tell you what, you know, I'll let you keep the goods, just give me the people. And the devil does that with people and with ministries all the time. You know, I'll, I'll increase your goods and your money and your building and your clout and all of that, but let me have the souls of the people. I kind of love this part of the story because... I like Abraham's response to him. He basically tells him, I don't even want a shoelace from you because I don't want it to be said that I was made rich by your hand. Like God did this, you know. 
So Abraham refuses to take any reward from the king of Sodom, lest people believe that his blessings came from him when they had it. They had come from God, and only God would get the glory for it. Chapter 15. After passing this test, God appears to Abraham, declaring that he is his great reward and source. Then promises him a son, a biological son. He had raised up many in his house as sons, but there would come a biological son, and this would be his heir. And that heir would bring many sons, more than the stars of heaven and the sands of the sea. Abraham believed God for this, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Abraham asked how he would know that God would do this. God halved, cut in half, some animals to make a covenant with him. This was the way that they did it. I have several different teachings on all of these aspects, and whenever I go ahead and put all of the in the beginning lessons in the series, I may tag all those teachings at the end of it for those that want more detailed but I just didn't want to get into another half a year study because it could have been that. So I'm just giving you the synopsis to know, but if you want more detail, um, when we post it all together in the HOWCU thing, I'll put all those lessons at the bottom. In, in the time and in the culture, it was a way to make a covenant yeah. between two people. Been, right, he would have known that. Right, Abraham would have understood it. The animals would have been cut in half. There would have been a gully carved down the middle. The blood would have poured run together. And the, the two people would have walked through the blood and covenanted that if either party did not uphold their part in the covenant, that they were agreeing to become like those animals, you know, sacrifice, torn apart, blood running out, all of that. So he cuts the animals and he lays everything in, in the right position. And Abraham sits there and waits for God to show up to make this covenant with him. But God waits until Abraham falls asleep. And then God walks through the blood alone effectively making a covenant with himself that if either party fails to keep their part in the covenant, then he would become like these animals. So Jesus comes because we don't keep our part in the covenant and he does become like those animals, a sacrifice, blood pouring out. So God made the covenant, but he made it alone. God prophesies the journey of Abraham's descendants to the promised land at a time when the inhabitants of Canaan would become wicked and need to be dealt with, the fulfillment of the curse on Canaan, the son of Ham. So in this part, God prophesies everything that's going to happen with his descendants, them going into Egypt, them coming into slavery, them being taken out, them coming into Canaan and overtaking Canaan and coming into the promised land. And then he says at the end of it, when the, time, when the iniquity of those people would be fulfilled. Now you'll see that through the story when you read it, that Abraham's encounters with the locals were not usually very bad. They weren't that bad of a people at this time. But God knowing how things would turn out, that it would become bad, because by the time the Israelites get back, that's when they're killing their children, burning them alive, and there's so much wickedness in the land. That's why God said that there's going to come a time when their iniquity is full, that they're going to have to be destroyed. That plays back to the curse that was spoken over Canaan when Ham disrespected his father, Noah, and he said that eventually his son, Canaan, would end up being, his descendants would be servants to the descendants of Sham. So Abraham and his descendants would have been from Sham, and the Canaanites would have been from Canaan. So whenever they come back and overtake Canaan, when they become so wicked, then that 
prophecy is fulfilled at that point. So Genesis chapter 16, Sarah has a bad idea. Sarah is barren. She can't have any children. She knows the promise and tries to make it happen. She proposes for her handmaid to bear a son for her. After the servant Hagar bears a son, they name him Ishmael. When Hagar saw that she had conceived, the Bible says she became bitter against Sarah, but the implication is that she became rebellious or arrogant because when God corrected her, he told her to submit herself to Sarah. So Abraham was like a prince at this point. Sarah couldn't have any children. So Sarah offers for her handmaiden, Hagar, to surrogate a child for her. Once she sees that she's conceived, the implication is that she kind of gets kind of arrogant towards Sarah. I got the child. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm and so more special, yeah. So Sarah confronts her about it, and she runs away. Hagar stops at a well, and the angel of the Lord meets her there. He told her to go back and to submit herself to Sarah, and God would make her son to become uh, a people that could not be numbered. He would be wild by nature and would always be in conflict among his brethren, but would be an uncountable nation nonetheless. Ishmael was half from Abraham, but half Egyptian because she was Egyptian. This is the father of your Palestinian um, people, the Arabs, among many of your Muslim nations. All right, and so the character that was attributed that he would be a fighter, people would fight with him, he would fight with people, he would be a wild man, and there would always be conflict between him and his brethren. And you see that carried out to this day in those peoples in the Middle East. Some of the Jews over there, they see the Jews and the Arabs fighting out. The people, you know, Western nations don't understand, but the, a lot of the Jews recognize it as a, it's a family thing. Mm -hmm. It's a family. It is. It's a family fight. It's yeah. a family fight. They're still fighting over the, the airship of the promise. Right. Ishmael was firstborn, but not of the loins of Sarah. And it was not the, the, the child that God promised. It was a working of the flesh, and that's why you don't try to make things happen. In the flesh, you trust God for what he wants to do. Plus, Sarah was free, and he was born of a bondswoman. So there's some mixture there. It's a polluted promise. The offspring of trusting in the flesh cannot bring about God's promises. Abraham was 86 years old when Ishmael was born, chapter 17. Thirteen years later, at 99 years old, the Lord appears to Abraham again. He told him to walk perfectly before him and his covenant would be with him. He changed his name from Abram to Abraham um, and decreed that he would be the father of many nations. Why is God just decreeing this now? Well, obviously a chapter ago he was not perfect, right he was not ready in chapter 16 because we know with the whole fiasco with Hagar, um, you know, that was 13 years between chapter 16 and chapter 17. You know, God's been promising he's going to do this. And then finally in ch chapter 17, he's saying, okay, now it's going to happen. Well, you know, why? Well, because obviously he, he, he 
hadn't learned all his lessons. His character wasn't completely right or he would have never agreed to the whole Hagar situation. So just because God reveals to us something that he desires for us or a plan that he has doesn't mean that we're ready to possess it in that moment. And that's a problem that a lot of ministers, young ministers have. They think, oh, because I've been prophesied over that I am, you know, this, this, that, you know, I see, you know, the mantle of an apostle on you. That doesn't mean that you're walking out tomorrow to be an apostle. That could be 13 years. Down that the could be 13 years. That could be one chapter later, <laughs> 13 years well, that's down the a road. Big time <laughs> right. Because God knows when you're ready, and He has to deal with the character so that you're able to rightly possess the promise. He told him to walk perfectly, and he would make him the father of many nations. God doesn't do things when we want it. He does it when we are ready for it. That takes time, testing, trials, tribulation, lessons, failures, wildernesses, so be patient. The Lord is doing something, and when you are ready to possess it without making a mess of it, he will give it. He will make it happen, even if it takes the miraculous to do it. The sign of circumcision was given as Abraham and his people's part to fulfill as a commitment of coming into this covenant with God. And God would give him a son by Sarah. So God usually always gives a test of faith. This was a big test of faith because remember, Abraham is, you know, 99 years old. You know, his son is, is probably like 12 at this point. Um, he's got a lot of servants that are full grown. So that's a little different than circumcising an eight-day-year-old. Eight you know, And they all had to be circumcised to start this out. But if they believed God, they would have to do that, and then God would fulfill his part in the covenant. Abraham laughed in his heart at the thought of a child being born to a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman. God tells him, that he will bless Ishmael and make him the father of a great nation, but that the covenant of God will be with Isaac, the child of promise from Sarah, that she will bear in one year. And all the men and boys of his house were circumcised by a hundred-year-old man, probably with a rock. <laughs> to be one of the, uh, the locals, the heathenistic people that walks by and sees that happening, like, we're, not we're not messing with those people. <laughs> it's funny though, in Jacob's time, the whole, the whole city agreed to be circumcised. Yeah, of some, of some, uh, not, they didn't follow God, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that is. That the was the people of Shechem. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, remember, it was, I mean, it was all of his people too, which a lot of them would not have been of his, his lineage, you know, so it wasn't just family, it was all of his servants and all. So throughout history, you see God bringing in. And incorporating and redeeming multinational things. Yeah. All right, Genesis 18. Abraham is sitting in the door of his tent when he sees three men approaching. We know that he is around 100 years old, but yet he gets up and runs to meet them and falls on his face before them and offers them food and drink. He gives them the best of what he has. Sarah bakes for them several months' worth of bread. Um, it's been a while since we did it, so I don't remember, but I think the three measures came out to somewhere around 100 pounds of flour's worth of bread. So, and it was the best flour. It was the best, the hardest to grow, the, you know, the finest. And 
it's not like us where we can go to the store and buy some flour, right? Yeah. You spent half a year growing this, protecting it from being eaten by everything. You could have traded for some of this. You harvest yeah. it by hand. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's still valuable. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you harvest it by hand. You have to thresh it and winnow it. You have to grind it by hand. And then you got to sit there and bake three months worth of bread over a fire and need... Yeah, it needed. I'm sure she had some servants helping out. Abraham, that. That's too much for one person to do. He's yeah. sat in the living room with his... his and Abraham room. gets all the credit for being so generous. But wait, they actually gave him more than just bread. Yeah, uh, meat as well. So Yeah, they did. They killed, they killed something, they killed a something. calf or and a goat. milk and cheese, which that's absurdly yeah. a luxury. So while they sat outside and talked and ate, the Lord said that he would return at the proper time, and Sarah would conceive. Sarah was in the tent and heard it and laughed because she was past the time of menopause. He replies, is anything too hard for the Lord? And at the appointed time, I will return according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. They got up and went towards Sodom. They told Abraham that God was going to destroy it, Abraham pleads with the Lord and intercedes for Lot. Um, I find it very interesting that the way that it's spoken is that it says the angels told him that the iniquity of Sodom and Gomorrah, which was full of sexual sin and perversion and wickedness, um, had reached heaven, that the cry of it had reached heaven, and they said, let us go see if it's as bad basically as the cry implies it, it almost sounds like the victims are praying and crying out to God about how bad it really is and so the angels come down to go see let me see if what we're hearing from the prayers is really as bad as it is and when they see that it was they bring judgment against it and in reading that I kind of thought about you know the movie Sound of Freedom this past week and how many people are going to be lifting up a cry you know, against the, the sins of perversion and how bad it really is. And will it, you know, will it move heaven to come and see if it's really as bad as it is? And if it does, then there will be judgment. So prayer does cause things to happen. When the cry got strong enough, God did something. Yeah. Yeah. And so I do think that there is power in, um, you know, these things like this, like these movies, when... Uh, unplanned came out. I think it was a very yeah. good thing because it opened a lot of people's eyes too, which was a true story about a woman who had worked in the abortion clinic um, and saw how bad it was and came out of it. Yeah. For her, her big focal point in changing was when she, because she was like managing whole clinics and she walked into a clinic while one was being performed and she saw on the sonogram the baby running and fighting for its life, trying to get away from the instruments before it ripped it apart. And that's when she realized, like, this, this is not what they tell us. It's not a bunch of cells. This is, this baby's fighting for its life, you know? And so having that in the movies is a way to help people see this is really happening, you know? And so those things are effective. Yeah, actually, the slave trade in America, the, the first vestiges of it being shut down was actually a movement by a, a group of Methodists called, I forget how you, abolitionists. abolitionists, and they went around having revivals all over the country, and at their altar services, um, they had papers lined up for people to free their slaves, 
and, and made the point that, you know, you were a bondage to sin, you were enslaved to the enemy, so, you know, God is freeing you, so we want to give you the, the opportunity to free your, your slaves as well. And uh, more slaves were, were freed through that than through the war. So it was a major revival movement that actually preceded the war. So wherever Christianity is, these things are typically abolished anyway. So God, uh, Abraham pleads with the Lord and he goes through this, Lord, you know, what if there's 50 righteous men in Sodom and Gomorrah? Would you destroy it? He says, no, I won't treat the, the righteous as I do the wicked. Of course I wouldn't destroy it. So he says, what if there's 40? No, I would save it for the 40's sake. What if there's 30? What if there's 20? What if there's 10? He gets down to 10. He said, I would not destroy it for the sake of the 10 righteous people that are in it. But obviously there were not 10 righteous people in it. So he continues. He says, so the number of people in it is so low that he tells him, I tell you, I will save Lot out of it if he's willing to leave. Um, but I'm, it's going to be destroyed because it's absolute. And there does come a point where there's so much wickedness that it's an injustice for God to allow it to continue. You know, and, and you know, seeing things like in the Sound of Freedom, you can see that where things do become so wicked that God just has to deal and, and the same people that will say, well, why, you know, if God is such a good God, why did he wipe out whole civilizations in the Old Testament? Or the same people that will say, well, if God is so good, then why does he allow, you know, evil things to happen in the world? There does come a point where it gets so bad where God will step in to prevent it, but that's when you get him wiping out whole civilizations. Right, and they explain that he did something about it. Because when it comes to that point where he's wiping out a whole city or a whole civilization, it means exactly. there's not very many... So by the time God intervenes like that, it's because there's such little righteousness left in it, then it's not worth saving. We see that even with Noah's flood. Like he waited till you know, Noah was the only one left in his family. And then he saved him, and then they, they wiped it all out. If somebody would have stepped up in those 120 years, God would let it, they would have let him on the boat. Yep. If he'd have been like, hey, yeah, I, I believe what you're saying. Yeah. Yep. All right, chapter 19. The two angels went to Sodom to get Lot. The men of Sodom rose up in perversion against the angels, trying to um, have relations with the angels. That's how perverted it was. Lot was warned to separate from this place because God was going to judge it. He tried to get his family to leave, but most of them wouldn't listen. The angels pretty much pull him out, um, and God destroys it. His wife and two of his daughters leave with him they were told not even to look back to just run get out of even the plains get away from it have nothing to do with it don't even stay close to it don't have anything to do with perversion don't even stay close to it you know one of the things that that I kind of wish they had pointed out a little more in this movie was that the very thing that allows for as bad as what's going on in that movie the child sex trafficking and the, the, the pedophilia and all that as bad as that is, that industry starts with pornography. And every person that looks at, at any piece of pornography is supporting that whole industry because that's where it starts and that's part of it. You know, it, yeah, it might be a bottle of whiskey compared to a bottle of wine, but you're still in the process and you're still in supporting the industry. So that's kind of like get out of Sodom and the plane because it's all going to get judged. It's all going to burn. So don't well, even be close to it. So get out of the plane. Lot's wife looks back and she turns to a pillar of salt. Him and his daughters run to the mountains thinking that they are the only people alive on the whole earth. 
the perversion that he chose to live in now lived in his kids and his daughters get him drunk, commit incest, and the offspring from it become the Moabites, which are continuously problematic for the Israelites for the rest of their history. So it's important what you put your kids around. You might think that you're strong enough to not let it get in you, but if it gets in them, then it kills the lineage. Chapter 20. Abraham and Sarah and his, all his people come into Abimelech's land. Sarah must have been uh, a very pretty woman at 90 years old. Yeah, at 90 years old, uh, you know, the king Abimelech is, is chasing after. Oh, yeah, much better than ours. Yeah. Yep. Abimelech takes Sarah to be his wife, but God prevents it and sends him a dream. So he restores her, Abimelech restores her back to Abraham with livestock and silver and tells him that he can live among them anywhere that he pleases. So Abraham prays for him and blesses him and opens the womb of Abimelech's wife who had been barren so that she could bear children. God had sent this infirmity upon her for this reason, for this day to forward God's plan to give Abraham favor with this man. So this was an affliction that God had allowed just so that God could remove it at this point so that Abraham would have favor with him. I find it interesting that God uses Abraham to open a man's wife's womb while he himself still did not have his own child yet, but only the promise of it. So he's praying for another woman's womb to be opened while his wife's is still closed, even though he has a promise. So it is God that heals, not a person, and he does it at his own discretion and for his own reasons. Chapter 21, we're almost to the end here. Sarah conceives and bears Isaac. So after he prays for these other people's wombs to be opened, Sarah's is pretty quickly after opened as well. Just as the Lord had spoken, Abraham was 100 years old. Uh, There began to be a conflict or a jealousy in Ishmael towards Isaac. Sarah saw it and complained to Abraham. She wanted Hagar and Ishmael to be sent away now that he had a true heir. Abraham didn't want to do that, but God told him to do as Sarah had asked because Ishmael was not the child that God had promised Isaac was. But because he was Abraham's son, God would make of him a mighty nation, but a different nation, just not the chosen one that God had promised. Abraham gave them provisions and sent them on their way. When the provisions ran out, she cried, thinking that they would die. But God spoke to her that he had heard Ishmael's voice and that he would preserve him and make a nation from him. He showed her a well and replenished their provisions. Abraham and Abimelech have a good and trusting relationship. Abraham digs wells and stays there for a good while. Chapter 22. God decides to test Abraham. He calls him to bring Isaac and some wood and to go to Mount Moriah to give a burnt offering. On his way, Isaac asked where the lamb was for the offering. Abraham said that God himself will provide the lamb. Abraham laid Isaac on the altar and God stopped him. He had passed the test. He feared God and was obedient to give up what he loved the most. So God provided a ram for him 
himself caught by the horns in a thicket. Abraham obeyed God's voice even while he was being tested and Isaac was being laid on the altar. The wife that God had for Isaac to begin to fulfill the promise was being born and prepared for him. So even while Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, even though the promise had to come through him, God was already making provision for the promise to be fulfilled because his wife was actually being born in another land. So God prevented it from happening, gave him a ram to sacrifice, but at the same time he knew he could trust Abraham because he was willing to give up everything and trust God to still be able to fulfill the promise. It says in the New Testament that Abraham believed God so much that he knew that even if he had to raise Isaac from the dead, he would do it because he would do what he said he would do. And he had said that the promise would come through Isaac. So he knew God would do something. And he did. Chapter 23, Sarah dies at the age of 127. Abraham bought a field with a cave um, that in a place that would later be the promised land, and he buried Sarah there. Chapter 24, Abraham grew old and ready to die. He made his servant promise not to let Isaac take a wife of the Canaanites. And part of that is probably maybe because he knew or God instructed, I'm sure, but there was a curse on the Canaanites, remember, from what had happened with Ham. And there was already prophesied that the Canaanites would become slaves. So the child of promise couldn't be married to that because then the child coming through would be part of the pollutions and it would have been a confusion. So one can't be, you know, serving the other. So he told him, don't, I'm dying. Don't let my son take a wife from the Canaanites because they already have um, a destiny laid out. And that's not part of the destiny that God has for my son. But instead, go back to my land, to where my father is, and t choose a wife there. Uh, he tells them, you know, what if, the, what if I find somebody and she doesn't want to come? He's like, the angel of the Lord will go. He will help you. He'll show you the right one. Let God pick his wife. So he goes. He prays on the way there for God to um, help him to find the right one. He says, Lord, when I get there, you know, let it be somebody that when I go to get water from a well that she, she offers to give water for me and all of my camel when I get there. So he sees a well in the distance he goes. There's a young girl at the well drawing water. She offers to get water for him and all of his camels. This is no little thing. Each camel drinks about 90 gallons of water. So that's a servant's heart. <laughs> so he asks her who she is and finds out that she is um, from Abraham's father's house like a, a niece or a great niece actually I think so he was like well the Lord has sent me to the right one so he goes and you know offers and she agrees and she wants so they didn't force her she made a decision and then she goes back with them and becomes the wife of Isaac of course this is Rebecca Genesis 25 Abraham took Another wife, this would have been after Sarah had died, Abraham did take another wife and had other children after Isaac. The scripture says that Abraham gifted the other children, but Isaac was his heir. He inherited everything from his father. Now this was cultural at the time. This was one of the reasons that Sarah would have wanted Ishmael to, to go because the way it typically happened when you had a patriarch the patriarch was in charge of all of the resources of the family. All of the family lived together in like a tribe. 
and they all worked, but the patriarch really was the one that owned everything and had all the resources and distributed it as was necessary. Usually, eventually, that went to his eldest son. The eldest son then became the patriarch who owned everything. He got all of the inheritance, but then he distributed as was necessary to, for everybody to do what needed to be done. And we have that patriarchal system and understanding with God, who is the father who owns everything. Um, but he gave the inheritance to his eldest son, which is Jesus, who then distributes, you know, the Bible says, severally as he sees fit. So um, Isaac would have gotten the full inheritance. Abraham died and was buried with Sarah in that cave, in that field, in Canaan. So he was buried in the promised land before it was the promised land. And that is the whole story of Abraham, chapter 12 to chapter 25, in a nutshell, summarized. Thank you for joining us today. This program was brought to you by HOWC Media Ministries. For more messages like this or information about our ministry, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.